This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. I'm Jen from the Frugal Friends podcast. And when I'm not cutting the end of the toothpaste tube off to get that last little bit of toothpaste, I'm stacking Benjamins. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and Joe's mom just pointed out that today is, wait for it, Heat Awareness Day. Joe's mom says that ever since we all moved to Arizona, every day is Heat Awareness Day. My goal figure out how to get the air conditioning to go to like 11 but here's a question is goal setting overrated one blogger says it is we'll contemplate that on today's show with someone else who's probably suffering from heat exhaustion from the afford anything blog and podcast and the desert of las vegas it's paula pant and from the earn and invest podcast we welcome doc g and finally another G. How about our own OG? Also, have you ever wondered how to help someone you care about to get into the school of their dreams and get it paid for with scholarships? During our Friday FinTech segment, we'll unveil a new Stacking Benjamins partnership with Pam Andrews from the Scholarship Shark. Of course, we'll still magnify a lucky listener's money and I'll dole out some of my sizzling hot trivia. And now, the guy who is just you know, like lukewarm on a good day. It's Joe Salciha. It is amazing just how hot it can be here in the desert, and I'm still lukewarm. Hey, everybody, welcome to Friday on the Stacky Benjamin Show. I am Joe Salciha, Average Joe Money on Twitter, and across the card table from me, ready to kick off another weekend, it is Mr. OG. I'm all sweaty. You were already kicking off your weekend, and we had to bring you back for this. I was uh, trying, but um, duty calls, so it's, it's, I, have a, I have an obligation to my community. It's fan, fantastic. And somebody else in the deserts of Las Vegas that has an obligation to her community, she's been out recording videos all day. It's our friend Paula Pant. I have been recording videos all day. This is one of the... Uh, unusually comfortable days that we're experiencing right now. We've had 100-degree temperatures for a while, and today we were in the 70s and 80s, so it's a comfortable day. I've been shooting YouTube videos, preparing for the launch of my rental property course, so I'm happy. 
It, it is wild when you talk about 80s, like it's cold almost. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like 85 degrees. I need a jacket. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. And a guy who has more Detroit-style weather because he's in Chicago, it's our good friend from the Earn and Invest podcast, Doc G's back. I was about to say, you know, Arizona and Las Vegas, here in Chicago, we do get warm in the summer, but my wife will only allow me to put the air conditioning at 80 or so. So I'm pretty much sweating the summer <laughs> out. I would be dying in Las Vegas or Arizona right now. Why is that? Is that uh, she just a uh, uh, heat miser? What's the deal? She doesn't like air conditioning. Wow. She doesn't like the way it feels. She doesn't like, she just, 80 is good for her and me Probably I'm more of a 75 kind of guy. You know something I think, though, Doc, that you both would like? What? I think you'd like reading The Stacker. That's our newsletter for Stacky Benjamins, where the two of you can huddle around the computer. You can find out what's going on in the basement. You'll get missives about Joe's money mistakes and how you don't want to make those mistakes yourself. And you'll find out all the fun when we actually get to travel again. Doesn't it sound romantic and wonderful? Yeah, my wife and I are always pushing each other out of the way to get to that one first. <laughs> I bet. com forward slash stacker. And you can join Doc G and Mrs. Doc G in the stacker community. Hey, we got a great show today. We've got Paula here. We've got Doc G here. We've got OG here. Lots of G's. So let's get this party started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins Headlines. How did you not say at the end of that, we've got all these G's, but this ain't nothing but a G thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I wish we had more G's, isn't this? Or it that... ain't nothing. Ain't nothing but it. It ain't nothing but a G thing. Ain't it's nothing. definitely ain't. ain't. Ain't nothing but a G thing. It'd be ain't. Yeah. Well, the good news is on today's show, we have another celebrity reader of a blog post. This comes to us from Alex West wrote this it's month four it's entitled holy <laughs> and reading it for us is our good friend Mr. Get Rich Slowly himself JD Roth month number four holy <laughs> this month my monthly recurring revenue went up to $825 cyber leads is at $674 of monthly recurring revenue git gardener is at $151 of monthly recurring revenue and epilepsy blocker is at $0 of monthly recurring revenue. Here's what happened. Initially, this month was a natural continuation of the previous one. Boring, uneventful, me bashing my head against the wall to think of something, trying everything to find a way to grow cyber leads, nothing working. I tried many things, Reddit, Facebook groups, Quora, LinkedIn, direct sales, Twitter, on the 21st of April, completely unexpectedly, a tweet of mine blew up big time. The tweet got 2,000 likes, 200,000 impressions, brought 1,000 new followers, and brought 10,000 visitors to CyberLeads. That doubled my revenue overnight. The tweet wasn't intended to promote CyberLeads. It's just that I want to cultivate some habits, and one of the things I want to do is tweet daily. So once a day, whatever happens, I tweet something, anything, just planting the seed putting the reps in. On the 21st of April, it was a long day at work. It was afternoon and I was super tired. Me and my girlfriend wanted to watch a movie on Netflix, so I told her to hold on a minute while I quickly tweeted something. I tweeted the first thing that came to mind, something that happened the previous day. I got my first $50 a month customer, I said. I watched the film on Netflix and went to bed. 
I'd noticed that the tweet was trending a little, and it had around 30 likes before I went to bed, but I didn't expect much, especially not paying customers. Fast forward two days of pure chaos, Twitter and Gumroad notifications. I went from around $400 monthly recurring revenue to $800 monthly recurring revenue. I smashed my infamous $500 monthly recurring revenue goal. It was a huge mental barrier for me. The sad thing is that once again, I was tricked. I was chasing this goal for more than two years, and now it means nothing to me. It's dead, cold, meaningless, like it was never there in the first place. I'm happy, but I feel kind of tricked. And I've had this problem in the past a few times. When I was in university, for instance, it was entering the ring to fight professionally. I thought when that happened that I'd be happy and confident from that moment on. I fought many times in kickboxing and Muay Thai. But guess what? Then I placed a new goal. A new goal that would bring me happiness. That goal was to start a startup. I built a product, ran it for some months, and then joined an accelerator. VC pitches, business plans, offices, the whole thing. But being a startup bro didn't make me happy after all. My next goal was to make money online. It was the 1st of June, 2018, one of the happiest days of my life. Two $5 a month customers for GitGardener. But then that wasn't enough. I wanted to make $500 monthly recurring revenue from my personal projects. Two years later, I did it. But you know what? Nothing really changed. I'm happy, but now I was tempted to add $2,000 monthly recurring revenue as my goal. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with placing goals. Actually, maybe that's the only way to succeed. But it's f***ed up when my goals take over my mind and interfere with me enjoying my life today. Thinking that some kind of magic fairy dust will glow off me and I'll be the happiest, most content, and most confident person in the world. I imagine most people are like this. When I have this, I'll be happy, they think. But it's always <gasps> For me, this was it. This was the last arbitrary goal I set. By the way, I'm not saying that I'm successful, because I know that I'm not. $800 per month is laughable, but for me, it seemed like a big deal just a few weeks ago. From now on, I have no goals. Nothing. I don't care about anything. I don't care about followers. I don't care about revenue. I don't care about anything. I just want to enjoy my everyday life. Enjoy the process. Improve a little every day. Enjoy that process. Not numbers growing on a screen on a chart. Try to perfect your craft. Seeing yourself grow and improve is 10 times more satisfying than watching revenue numbers grow on a screen. Also, things like this remind me of how powerless I really am. All those things I did and thought would move the needle did nothing. Reddit, Facebook, direct sales, nothing. Then, luck smiled at me and things went crazy. Can I take credit for that? Did I make those customers subscribe? Did I make that tweet go viral? No. So should I get upset when somebody unsubscribes? Did I make them unsubscribe? No. All I can do is ask what went wrong and try to improve. From now on, I'll just do my best and leave it at that. Whatever happens, happens. If it all goes to hell and Cyberleads fails, it. it's not in my hand anyway. I don't care. Another thing that happened this month was that someone from Indie Hackers copied my product word for word. In the beginning, I was mad and frustrated, but then I reminded myself that number one, I can't do anything about it, and number two, it might be the best thing that ever happened to me. Competition can make you or break you. 
So where does this leave me now? I found a good business-to-business product, CyberLeads. That was my goal for quarter one. And I found a good distribution channel, Twitter. That was my goal for quarter two. So now I just continue growing and improving CyberLeads and share my progress on Twitter. Do more of the same and document my journey every step of the way. But how transparent should I be? Should I post revenue numbers and be in danger of having more people start the same kind of product? Or should I be transparent about all the other things apart from revenue? On one hand, from the outside, the barrier to entry might seem low for a product like CyberLeads. On the other hand, posting revenue numbers will bring in more eyes, for sure. It'll also inspire people, which is important to me. I say that because this blog post would have inspired myself just three months ago. I almost feel like it's my duty to post my revenue numbers up to a certain point, to inspire people that are a little bit behind me in this journey. Eventually I'll stop, probably if and when I go full time. Maybe I should use the Pareto principle here as well. Share enough to inspire others and get more people to see my work, but don't share all of the behind the scenes. That sucks, but what can you do? I found this to be a really interesting piece. And Doc, I think we'll start with you because it's funny. He has this big breakthrough. And by the way, thanks to J.D. Roth for reading that for us. But but Alex here has this breakthrough, Doc, and it's this breakthrough where all of a sudden he's made some money and he thinks he realizes that uh, goal setting might not be as attractive as it is. Is he learning the right lesson, you think, or the wrong lesson here? I think it's complicated. I have a saying that I tell my children. I always say to them, may you never reach your dreams. May you get 80 or 90 percent there. And the reason why is there's something strangely hollow about reaching a goal. We dream about, we struggle, we see this beautiful thing in the future, and there's something great and that feels really good about striving for it. If you are like probably all of us here, we thrive on achievement. And the problem is once you get to that achievement, it only sits with you comfortably for a short period of time before you're thinking about what the next achievement is. And while that can be great for a career and it can be great for personal growth, it also can drive you a little bit crazy. It can make some of your achievements eventually feel hollow. And I really got that sense from this piece that that's what he's feeling. Do you agree with that, Paula, that maybe the hike up the mountain is better than the view at the top? I do agree with that. I think that we, as humans, derive meaning from progress and growth. And so it is It is that journey itself. It is that progress, that growth, the, the feeling that you are better today than you were yesterday that is so fulfilling. And and that said, I think that when I say progress, growth, improvement, I'm not talking about results. I'm talking about the actions that you take. If you are better at the skill or the work that you do, then regardless of how the results fall out, because results are not inside your control, but your actions are. And so I think that that also is where meaning comes from. But Alex here kind of presents having goals individually. I'll ask you the same question I asked Doc as as the problem. Do you think that's the case? I think that he needs to reframe it. I think goals are wonderful, but setting goals about something that is outside of your locus of control is an exercise in futility. And ultimately, the results are truly outside of your locus of control, but your effort is within that locus of control. So setting goals based around your effort, your contribution, the quality and quantity of work that you do, those goals are absolutely wonderful. And 
We hope that there is a correlation between effort and reward, but we cannot control reward. And so don't set a goal around something you can't control. Focus on the inputs, not on the outcome. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, gee, as a financial planner, I haven't been in your shoes in a long time, man, but I remember we'd start talking about goals with clients and it's, I don't know if it's still the same today, but then it was a bunch of eye rolls. Okay. All right. But, but then, so nobody wanted to do it. And once we finally got into goal setting, it was actually really hard for people to set goals. A, is it still like that when you're working with people? And then B, if it is like that, what, what do you do to try to make it easier? I think the problem a lot of the times is that we don't have an idea of what exactly we're trying to set it for. Here you guys both talk about uh, goal attainment being a little bit uh, shallow or hollow maybe. I think it has to be celebrated. I think if you have spent time and energy, and I get it, once if you're an achiever, you know, once you kind of check the box, you want to go on to the next thing, but you have to kind of ruminate for a little bit and be okay with the fact that you just were successful. We talk about income and the different levels of income and how it affects happiness and that there's an eventual point at which that doesn't happen anymore. There's no more happiness given for a new dollar, so to speak. And that's kind of true, but without the opportunity to look back at the progress that you've made, and I think that's probably the biggest thing, is if you're always looking at the next thing, if you're always looking at the horizon, you're going to never feel like you've made any progress because it doesn't move. The horizon never moves. It's always way out there. But if you take a moment to look backwards at here's where I was and here's where I'm at today, you can really start to appreciate the profound change, whether it's financially or any other things for that matter, but most notably in, in finances and in money, because you can see the, you can see the difference, you know, in your money. But if you take time and you look back, OG, like you're saying, you stop looking at the horizon, but you look at all the gains that you made. How does that change anything? I mean, okay. So I, I made those gains. Does it change uh, your mood? Does it change your outlook? What changes when you do that? I don't think it changes anything. You have to use that information for whatever the next decisions are going to be. If your goal is to become financially independent, and we do this in our client meetings a lot, we'll figure out what that number looks like, kind of a real rough draft number. You know, you kind of back of an envelope, calculate it. And so you say, okay, uh, 20 years from now, you add some inflation to your current spending, blah, 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 you need 4 million. And you can almost see distress, even though it's on the phone. You know what I mean? Like you just see them kind of slump their shoulders down and go like, oh my gosh, I'm at 140 grand. There's no way I'm going to see 4 million, but it's not about getting to 4 million. It's about doing the next thing. The next thing, which is max out your Roth IRA. That's going to get you on the path to that. And if you make those small adjustments along the way and reflect on the, the progress that you've made, that provides the momentum that you need to be able to keep pushing forward. You know, achievers who, who reach something and check the box off, that's kind of where they get frustrated. George Burns said, asked how long he was going to live. He said, well, I'm booked on my hundredth birthday. So I better be alive for that. You know, <laughs> like he, like he had something to look forward to. He just always had the next thing. And when you stop having the next thing, then what do you have to look forward to? But do you think this is the issue, uh, what OG saying, Doc, that we don't celebrate it enough and that is why the goal feels kind of hollow and we feel a little bit like we're on a... Because I got this feeling from Alex in this blog and from JD reading it, 
that people get this feeling almost like he's on a treadmill. Yeah, I used to call it the achievement treadmill, right? So as opposed to the hedonic treadmill where we're buying things to make us happy, but then we need to buy more. I certainly have struggled with my own achievement treadmill in the sense that achievements only made me happy for a short period of time before I needed to strive towards the next one. I think money goals especially can be really slippery. And maybe OG's point is really important here. When we're talking about money goals, I think we almost have to let go of those and start looking at what those money goals mean to us. So he was talking about with his clients, the financial independence, getting to the $4 million dollars. You know, it's really easy to get stuck on that number and think that that's your goal. And when you get there, that tends to be hollow. I mean, you're really excited about it, but then you also realize that that's just a number and it's going to change when the market changes and it's going to go up and down from time to time. The real goals have to do with those deeper things that you're doing in life that that money affords you. So as I was reading this piece, you know, he had this number goal But maybe what was more important is, okay, well, what was bringing in that revenue allowing him? Was it allowing him to spend more time doing things he liked? Was it allowing him to maybe let go of some other side hustle he was doing to make money that he didn't enjoy using his time that way? So maybe the money goals themselves sometimes feel hollow. And that's what I was getting from this piece that we have to sometimes stop actually concentrating on the money and more think about what we can do once we reach that goal. What is it really buying us, so to speak? That's interesting. OG, do you agree with that? Uh, start with goal as a fuel and instead focus on how much fuel you're going to need the tank to reach XYZ? Well, I mean, at the end of the day, money is just money. And for some people, $400,000 is more than adequate to be successful. And for some people, $4 million isn't even close to being enough. It's happiness or joy or fulfillment is an internal measure. And if you are happy, then you're happy. If you're not, you're not. And no amount of money will likely change that. So you have to take the conversion factor, so to speak, of the stuff that you're, that you need for the goal, in this case, money, and turn it into what does that thing provide for me? You know, it provides me the opportunity to work four days a week instead of five. You know, that's what I'm trying to get to. You're not trying to get to a million bucks. You're trying to get to part-time work, you know, or whatever. Yeah. So uh, if you can turn that thing into something that it provides for you, some next level of uh, fulfillment or utility, then that's what it's for. Paul, you were talking about the inputs earlier and focusing mm -hmm. on what the inputs are. It seems to me as I go back through this and I think about what you said, he said he doesn't care about anything. He just wants to enjoy his life every day, enjoy the process. I kind of feel like, okay, if, if, if that is his goal to just enjoy the process, there's tons of parables that show, you know, the squirrel that collected all the nuts and then it got cold and the squirrel that said, I just want to sit around and eat. Cause that's what makes me feel good. Like, how do you, how do you, how do you make sure you're doing the right inputs? I think the right inputs, I mean, right for what end? Like by, by what metric do we measure right? Do we, of course, there's like right in terms of ethics or integrity. There's right in terms of what is strategically best for the business. There's right in terms of what feels like a calling for you. You know, I think that approaching, particularly in, in a case, you know, like, like this one in which you've got 
you know, someone who who's built his own creative project and is doing the the solopreneur thing, right, is really is operating that small business from a place of authenticity. You know, we talk about what is the practical application of money. Can it bring you, you know, fewer work hours? Can it bring you X or Y or Z? Can it buy you more time? But there's also the ego satisfaction that making money creates. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean, certainly making money can feel validating, emotionally validating, but it can, in many ways, it can also, it can help you shape your identity. And particularly in his case, as a small business owner, if he creates a business that isn't true to his identity, then I don't think it would ever be satisfying. Do you have the guts mm-hmm. to get philosophical? Are, are you getting philosophical on our show? Is that what you're doing? <laughs> What the hell do you think this is, Paula? Afford anything? You got to back down on that talk. That's that's horrible. I was also wondering, though, what you were thinking about this, Paula. I was thinking about you when I read this piece. If it all goes to hell and cyber leads fails, it's not in my hand anyway. I don't care. What did you think when you read that? I love that line. I love the acceptance that ultimately the results are not in your control. Like the acceptance that the effort is within your control, but the result is not. But but, but I, di- I, I didn't feel that way. I've, I, I don't know. Doc, did you feel that way? Yeah, it almost was like he was throwing up his hands and saying, I'm just not going to try anymore. And I think that's the line, right? At some point, you have to decide that there's something good about the process of trying as opposed to the result. And... We do talk, I mean, Paul was just talking about kind of the egocentric part about making money is it feels good to make money, but at some point you need to keep on making more and more money even to fuel that good ego feeling. I think the next level is when you start saying, okay, well, it was fun making money and this is a sign it's a goalpost that I pass so I'm being successful. But what I really dig is building these successful businesses. What I really dig is diving deep in, into how to use SEO or how to build a business or how to talk to the right people who will move my business forward. I mean, that's where I think the real joy comes from. And so the money can drive you, but I don't think you're going to last. And maybe your response will be exactly what his was, that if the money is really what's driving you, you're eventually going to get frustrated. Either you're not going to make money and you're going to be frustrated, or you're going to plow through your goals and feel kind of empty at the end. Whereas if you get really excited about what you're doing for the sake of doing it, I, I guess this really is what Paul has been saying the whole time. If you set kind of the right goals of what interests you, I think that's more important. That's more important, again, than the money goals, at least. But I feel like sometimes with this attitude, if it goes to hell and it fails, it's not in my hands anyway. But Paula, I think it kind of is in your hands. I mean, if you don't continue to focus on changing that input and changing that input and and you don't see it have any reaction and then it fails, I think partially it was in your control. And I feel like too many people do that. They go, well, it wasn't meant to be. Mm. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe that's a little fatalistic. Maybe we have more control than we think we do. I agree with that to the extent I, I understand that viewpoint. And I hope that the people who are listening to this understand that what I'm trying to say is that the acceptance of the idea that the results are out of your hands 
in no way should be interpreted as, therefore, don't try. Mm. Um, yeah. Because what matters is the effort that you put forth. And the greater that effort slash the smarter that effort, the higher of a likelihood you give the project at succeeding. So basically, there are things that you can do that increase your probability of success. And there are things that you can do that decrease your probability of success. Ultimately, it's still all probability. And sometimes sometimes probability works against you. Sometimes you're the one person, the one unlucky person who got struck by lightning. But if you do what is required to increase your likelihood of success, then you've done what is required of you. Yeah, Paul is uh, talking like you there, OG. I mean, behavioral investing, right? Focus on the things that you can control, not on the things that you can't. It's the only thing that matters. Yeah. Uh, biggest takeaway here, guys, I think we'll start with our guest. It, it, it's hard to call him a guest of honor when he's not as frequently as he is, but we're going to start. We'll start with you, Doc. What's our big takeaway from this, you think? I think the big takeaway for me, at least, is goals are great, but know what those goals are getting you and concentrate on the end product you're really looking for. So if it's a money goal or if it's a career goal, what is it going to feel like once you get there? And what is that actually going to help you achieve in your life that you want? OG? I think at the end of the day, you know, your personal happiness or sense of fulfillment is going to come from you alone and not from anybody else. And if my name is Alex and I have a website, I might hire a different person to create fonts <laughs> for my blog <laughs> because it's damn near unreadable. <laughs> in its current form. <laughs> Those are my two lessons from today. <laughs> uh, Paula, you've got the last word. Well, my takeaway is actually a question. If Doc is the guest of honor, can I be the guest of dishonor? (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad we finally got away from that philosophical crap, Paula. (laughs) I'm super excited about our next guest. Normally, this is where we have the Friday FinTech segment, but something very, very cool. Pam and I got together. I was super thrilled when she agreed to partner with us to create the Stacking Benjamins Scholarship Mastery course. This interview, by the way, and discussion is about 30 minutes long. So if you don't have If you don't have children who are high school or college age, or if you're not considering going back to school yourself, feel free to just fast forward about uh, 25 to 30 minutes because Pam and I have a much longer than usual discussion. You'll see the reason why we wanted to partner with her. Frankly, this is another case where initially I thought about building this myself because I think that affordable college is so important for our community. And then I realized that somebody could do a better job than us. And that's my friend, Pam Andrews. Pam, not only is now the scholarship shark helping people get a ton of scholarships. She also in the past has worked in admissions. She knows how the college process works. She is truly an expert when it comes to the process of getting a better deal for college. So let's say hello to her, Pam Andrews and I about to talk 
about the Stacking Benjamins Scholarship Mastery Program. And here joining us again, and I'm so happy about what we're going to announce today, our good friend Pam Andrews. How are you? I'm doing well. How about you, Joe? Well, the fact that you're about to help a bunch of people <laughs> save a bunch of money on college costs, I think is is fantastic. And I have to ask you, actually, before we get to the topic today and save people a bunch of money, you're closer to this than most people. Everybody's wondering what college is going to look like this fall. What are you seeing out there? Yes. So I attend almost weekly and sometimes multiple times throughout the week, college counselor sessions, talking to schools, hearing from schools as they're doing presentations. So there's a a range all the way from schools not opening uh, their residential programs to opening as normal or some kind of in, in the middle, a hybrid So for the schools who have decided, there are some schools, a lot of the California, the UCs, the schools have decided we're not opening in the fall. We're going purely online. We're going to continue with this online platform, even for incoming freshmen. So that's something schools are looking at. And again, with the schools that are considering to do things as normal are also putting in place as a backup and online in case they have to quickly make once again, that shift from that residential experience to the online. And then there are schools that are talking about having the in-person live residential experience just for incoming freshmen and for seniors so that the graduating seniors who have maybe senior projects, they can finalize any internships, experiences, all of that and graduate. And so that incoming freshmen can get acclimated to this new campus, you know, college life. And so the students in the middle, if you've got time, then, you know, you may be at home doing it online. Then I've seen hybrid because there are all kinds of hybrid. There are different hybrid models, hybrid model where schools have said we are going to thin out some of our gen ed, our general courses where we have maybe 200 students in a lecture hall. And, you know, if you're A through K, you come on Monday. And if you're you know, whatever, whatever letter you come, you know, so spread it out so that the rest are watching from their dorm room online while everyone else, until it's your day, you're live. They're looking at hybrid with house uh, dining because that's another big issue. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, how are we going to handle dining and then activities? What does that look like? You know, are we just streaming our athletics and not having students congregate and cheer for their their school? So there are all kinds of models. The, The best piece of advice I'm giving students and families is just keep an eye on your school's website. Just about every school at the top or, you know, on their homepage has something that says COVID-19 related information. So it's important to know what they're doing. And I'm finding that they're really communicating well with their incoming students, their incoming freshmen, letting them know everybody wants to get back on campus, you know, for all kinds of reasons. I mean, schools need to do it financially. They can't not... do things. So they, they want to do it, but at the same time, they want to keep their students and their faculty and staff healthy and safe. And it also depends on geography. NYU and schools in the Northeast are going to look very different from schools where, you know, it's not really a hot spot. So, you know, it's just kind of all over the place. And it's just really interesting to see um, just how creative schools are in terms of finding a solution that's going to work and keep everybody safe. Wow. What a, what a strange time. Super strange time. Equally as strange 
is the fact that we are launching with you a program that we're calling Stacking Benjamin Scholarship Mastery Program. And it is based on 100% the great work that you do as the scholarship shark. And so uh, we'll tell people about that in a few minutes. But before we get specifically to that, you have this whole history of helping people save a ton of money on the retail cost of college. Let's just start with, because some of these numbers, Pam, blew me away when you and I started talking about doing this together. Tell me a couple success stories about the amounts of money people have saved uh, that they didn't think they could save. Absolutely. And I'll speak in terms of percentages. Yeah. Samantha, who she graduated in 2019, actually won 100% of the full cost of tuition. And that was a combination of applying early throughout senior year, as well as taking advantage of some of the more the times when there are a lot more private scholarships. So December. So when everyone else was maybe enjoying their holiday break, she was really working on scholarships, sending me essays constantly you know, and for me to edit, which was great, which is what I wanted. But during that time, she won enough to cover the gap. So she was just one student who is fully covered, which is great for her because she loved and wanted to do study abroad and wanted to be able to do that without all that extra expense that comes with um, doing a study abroad uh, program. She's studying um, international business. So she's just one example. I have another student who came to me a little bit later in his freshman year of high school, or freshman year of college, I'm sorry. And he, according to his mom, didn't really want to do the work, but got a little bit motivated when he realized that he couldn't handle work. You know, part-time job is schoolwork and a social life. And so he quickly became motivated. And I worked with him to help him discover, you know, that there still is money available, even when you're in, in college. And he actually won a full tuition. It covered, didn't cover the room and board, but it covered the tuition and the fees. Wow. Um, scholarship from his school. Absolutely. And he actually just graduated 2020. I just um, heard from his mom. So he graduated and he's super excited. And, and, you know, and he's actually going to graduate school in the fall. So, yeah. And that's just one of many. So on average, students can win. They definitely win more because we're really intentional, you know, what you focus on, you work towards. And so they're winning various amounts, but on average, I find households or students win about 70% of their unmet need. And what I mean by that, that's the portion that they're responsible for, which is really significant when you think about many students don't think about it. I know I didn't, when I graduated, I had student loan debt. I didn't know about scholarships. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I needed, I needed me in my life. So it's about that percentage in terms of, on average, students who win money. And it's funny, the second example, the gentleman that you talked about, that is a myth I know from my days as a financial planner, is that if you don't get scholarships your freshman year, people give up. And my understanding for people like you is that fewer people apply sophomore, junior, senior year. And yet that's when more companies really want you because you're getting more speaking about being intentional. You're getting more intentional about school and more directed. And listen, a company doesn't want to give money to a freshman. that's not really sure what they're going to do with their life, but a junior who very much wants to be a journalist or an engineer, whatever it might be, a company is much more likely to step up and want to help them go through school as a recruiting tool. That's, that's my understanding of one myth. Is is that true, by the way? Yes, you're exactly right on several fronts. Number one, the higher up you go, the, the fewer students 
apply. And then the strategies shift. So you are looking at your professional associations and you're looking at businesses. And the nice thing about many of the businesses, depending upon the major, they not only offer money, but networking as well as sometimes conferences, seminars, mentoring, as well as internship opportunities, because they're investing in you. You're you're the future workforce. And so it's in their best interest to help you finish that last year and to begin to connect you and, you know, and offer you employment. So it's a great tool. I think a lot of times that students don't realize it's more than just that initial scholarship and paying for their current, you know, cost of attendance. But in addition to networking and, you know, if you're a scholar for a certain company, depending upon the scholarship, you know, some of the other benefits, but, but you're right. I find that typically students, as they get closer to the finish line, they're just not thinking about it. They get deeper in their major. They get a little bit more overwhelmed as they have projects and they're thinking about those next steps. And so there's money still available and not a lot of people are applying for it. Well, what are some of the other myths that you see? I think another myth is that you have to have perfect test scores, perfect grades. You know, if you don't, then you're not going to win. And that's actually not true. There are just as many scholarships for community service and leadership as there are academic scholarships. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to have horrible grades. I'm not saying that, but, you know, there's... You can't be failing out and then oh. get money. Right. But, you know, there are what I, I hate to use labels, but there are scholarships for C students, you know, students who may be a 2.7 or, you know, two point something, but they're leaders. They have identified something that they're passionate about and they're pursuing it. And it aligns well with that organization's mission. And so those are great opportunities as well for students to think about community service and leadership. And everybody, leadership is not a title. It's not a position. It's really influencing others. And when we look at it that way, when a young person kind of reframes what they think as leadership, they begin to see, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, actually, I'm leading a little bit more than, you know, I'm the crew chief at our local restaurant here where I open and clean up and train new new folks, you know, coming in. So leadership is not just the title, you know, in terms of captain of this or president of that. It's really how are you influencing others to take action? And then we talk about that in their essays to get that money. That's well. And and I'm also thinking it also for people that have kids in school, kids start thinking about leadership differently. I know my junior and senior year in high school, I started thinking a little differently about those things. I agree. I think the closer you get to the finish line, you're starting to think freshman year is just transition. You know, you're just coming out of middle school. You're the new kid on the block, you know, little fish in a big pond, hormones. You're trying to figure it all out. And then sophomore year, you get into a little bit more of a rhythm. But by junior year, everything really starts to heat up with testing, you know, PSAT and to qualify for national merit scholarship. Like a lot begins to happen end of sophomore, beginning of junior year. And it all, you know, everything happens in that senior year. Is there another myth that we should be aware of? Yes. So I think another myth is the dollar amounts are too small, you know, like, oh, it's just 500 or, you know, it's, it's, it really doesn't matter. And I think that goes back to mindset. I did an exercise with my students once where we talked about the value of a $500 scholarship, you know, not just in terms of the amount of time that you invested to get it and what that looks like hourly. If you break down, you know, like, are you earning this much per hour? Yeah. Right. But the opportunity that's missed when you look at, you know, if you were to borrow that with the average interest rate and the average amount of time it takes 
takes to pay back student loans, it's not $500. It's close to $700. You know, you're throwing away an extra $200 by simply saying, you know, kind of poo-pooing at a little $500. No, there's no such thing as small scholarships. Every amount is worth, if you're eligible, you apply for it. So I think that's another myth that can really mess up whether or not a student moves forward with applying for scholarship. It's funny. And I think about just how much those books cost. I remember when my twins got scholarships, I immediately thought with some of those quote, small, right? Scholarships. I think one was $250. I thought there's some textbooks. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's what one and a half textbooks. right? Yes. But here's the other thing I like about the smaller ones I find is that the checks are typically cut to the student directly which is really nice because there are sometimes other expenses, maybe with getting home, traveling home, maybe you need a laptop, you know, other college related expenses that students don't realize until they step foot on campus. That is just nice to have that cash to help you offset some of those expenses. So, you know, typically the larger ones are in your name to, you know, payable to the school and, you know, you have to follow your account, make sure it gets deposited. But a lot of the smaller 2000, 1000 and and local uh, businesses, they write those checks to the student, which is really nice. When I first started thinking about this, I thought student loans, as you know, are such a problem in the United States right now. And if if we can help people go after more scholarships, that this could be a huge service. And then I saw what you do and thought that this system is so effective. Like, why would I try to create my own and not just beg you to partner with us? <laughs> and so, so, and I'm so glad that you did, but let's talk about that strategically. If somebody works with you or frankly, even if they don't, if they do it on their own, tell me about how the system works. What exactly Absolutely. do you take people through? Yeah. So let me tell you what I take people through. So number one, I work with the student. I support the family, but I work directly with the students. So when I'm saying you, I need you to do, I'm not talking to the mama. I'm not talking to the parents. I'm talking to the student and that's intentional because this is their journey and they need to have some skin in the game. And I find when students understand the process, when students do the work, they get the results. And when you work for that money, you keep it. You know, I've seen students work really hard to maintain GPAs because they know their scholarship is contingent upon keeping it, the renewable ones. And so number one, I start with the student and work with them and teach them all the steps and the processes through the course part of the work. So I have what I call the three C's in my program. It's the course or the curriculum. So it's the course. And then number two, it's the coaching. And then number three, it's the community. So with the course, I did not want to just show students how to find scholarships. For me, it was really important that they walk through my four-part framework which really helps them have success. And then in the course, we dive deep in a lot of subjects. So here's what I'm talking about. So it's not just finding scholarships and, you know, having a list and, you know, keeping a list, however you track it. It's also the mindset. We do a lot with mindset work, as well as, you know, once you build that massive list of scholarships, understanding what's in the mind of a scholarship judge, understanding how to write a winning scholarship essay. You know, I've identified three main types of scholarship essays and five common themes. And so when they understand what those common themes are, they know what the judge is looking for and really how to craft their story so that they stand out. 
because this is not an academic assignment. It's not like your English paper. I mean, the whole goal is to win money. You have to persuade them that out of all the other applicants, you're the one, you know? So, you know, what about you lines up with their mission and why they should award you the money? On that note, in one of your lessons, there is a, uh, you go through a fantastic essay building discussion where you talk about three people writing an essay on the same topic and essay one, when I first read it looked pretty good. And, <laughs> and then I see the second kid's essay that you show us and man, that essay looks better. And then the third essay just blows the two of them out, out of the water. And it's because of the fact that they're much more specific. They've gotten rid of all the generalities. They talk much more human to human instead of just me to the world. And there's other things that you point out, but that really stood out to me, especially since the first essay, that one that initially I thought was really good. When you showed me better and best, I realized, oh, with just a few simple refinements, you can yeah. take this essay and make it so it isn't everybody else's. It's uniquely you, which is, to your point, what the judge is looking for. Absolutely. I think when students see that, if that aha moment happens, like, oh, because most students really write an average essay, even high performing students, you know, students who do well, you know, in their English lit class, if for some reason they just don't tackle the scholarship essay in the way that it needs to be approached. And so when they understand really how to craft that essay, like you said, going from that good to better, the better to the best, it makes all the difference in making that judge say, wow, you know, we want to know more about this kid. And then they read the references a little bit more. And, you know, and so that takes them from just kind of being considered to the reject pile to, you know, moving forward through the process. And this isn't a program either where it's just a quick course and then kids go bye-bye. You stick with kids throughout their college career. Yes. It's funny. I like when they said, so, you know, when they come in, they're like, so how long are we working together? I said, well, when do you graduate? <laughs> you know, like, and, you know, I tell them that you, you have one of two exits. You either graduate from undergrad or you win enough money that you no longer need me, you know, and I, I prefer that you win enough money that right. you no longer need Everybody's me. hoping for option B. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I designed it that way because I know students get busy. I parent college kids. I know what it's like, you know, high school. I've, I've got four kids. They're busy. And without constant reminders, without someone saying, hey, I haven't heard from you in a bit. What are you working on? And it's nice because that takes the pressure off of mom to be that one who's I hate to use the word nagging, but the one who's staying on top of them. And I've developed such a relationship with them that immediately when I just send out that quick message, hey, haven't heard from you checking in. What are you working on? Immediately. And now all of a sudden everybody's working on something. So it's with that. And then it's also the essay support, because, again, it's not just finding scholarships, but it's knowing how to apply so that you can win. This is bigger, though, than just college scholarships, isn't it? I agree. The skills that students acquire in our program, the life skills, it's more than just, you know, finding scholarships and applying. These are life skills that are transferable. And what I mean by that, you know, the same skill that you use to find a scholarship is the same skill that you're going to use to find employment, summer employment, a summer opportunity, maybe a mentor. And the same skill that you use to impress a scholarship judge is the same skill that you need, same interviewing skills that you need to have when it comes to an internship or summer employment. 
So these skills, and I tell students, skills are transferable. You know, I'm not doing the work for you. You know, I teach you how to do this. I'm not going to find your scholarships, although I post some as I see them and tag them, but I want them to learn how to do this. I want them to master this. I want them all to be scholarship sharks. And so it's important for them to know that, you know, I can acquire this skill. And then I see the confidence increase because they realize that this is doable and it translate in, it's into other areas of their schoolwork and their campus life. I want to give people a couple of things, two of many that really impressed me. Uh, you work with these kids on developing a LinkedIn profile and kids, you know, are on TikTok. Maybe they have an Instagram <laughs> account, but LinkedIn is a whole new world, but that's the professional world. And so getting a leg up on LinkedIn at an early age, I thought was really cool. And then, and then second, this idea of playing to the judge Different than hopefully we want schools to be very objective about whether your work was A, B, C, D, although I didn't find that to be the case all the time. Teachers inadvertently would have their favorites sometimes. Here you're clearly trying to be the favorite. And, and to some degree, that's the nature of life and work. The working world is sometimes subjective. That your your boss just likes Pam better than they like Joe. So when it comes time to see which one gets the boot, it might might end up being Joe because he's not nearly as as likable as Pam is. But I think I think those two things alone are these huge life skills that, frankly, when it comes to playing to the judge, is not one that I wish were true. I wish that mm -hmm. wasn't true, but it's completely true. I thought those two alone are just huge life skills that we all need to know. Yeah, for sure. So with the LinkedIn, I was very intentional about that. Well, that's where our our group is of students where we meet. There's a unpublished, unlisted LinkedIn group. And I tell them, you're going to go to the group, but you're going to build your LinkedIn profile. So I walk them through how to build a LinkedIn profile for students, you know, and we talk about what LinkedIn is and how you use it to connect versus how it's different from, you know, how it's a networking site and not a social site. It's not for friends and likes and, you know, things like that, but it's more for connections and networking. So we spend time in there and, and that's where I'm putting extra videos and posting scholarships and tagging them. So I'm forcing them and driving them to LinkedIn, but it's a great skill to learn early on. And this is what I find. There are times when I'm out someplace and I'll meet a college student who's maybe in their second or third year. They're not even on LinkedIn. Right. Yeah, they're not. And I'm thinking, oh, my word, my kids are so far ahead. <laughs> like, and so they're beginning to they feel comfortable connecting with each other. They're making meaningful connections with their uh, professors. They're beginning to connect with future employers. So you told me that great... even even on this new world that we're in that Zoom, like like your yes. kids were ahead of the your kids were yes. using Zoom for meetings because, of course, they're all over the place. And right. now that everybody's on Zoom, ever your kids know exactly what to do. They knew exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. You're exactly right. As we were talking, I didn't realize that that was a skill that they had acquired and that they were getting by being in, in my program that now everybody is doing. And so when other kids were trying to make that transition with coming home and the technology, my students knew how to share their screen. They knew how to chat. They, they knew how to log in. They did not have the tech issues that other, because we're meeting on Zoom all the time. Right. That's how we meet <laughs> for the coaching part. So you're exactly right. Now if you and taught them to buy Zoom stock a few yes, months I ago. I wish I had. I yes. totally should have before it all happened. I wasn't right. thinking. <laughs> But I wanted to get back to the point where you talked about a judge. I sit as a judge on two scholarships, on a national scholarship and then a local scholarship. 
And it's really interesting. And again, I tell students, you know, when you get me in the program, you, you get all that comes with me, like all of the experience and what I'm reading and the conferences I attend and the schools I talk to and, you know, the foundations. I said, there's so much more. And one thing I notice when I listen, of course, I'm listening because we're evaluating candidates, but I'm always taking notes and I'm picking up things that I'm hearing now, especially I was a scholarship judge for a local scholarship I'm part of. And we just had our annual a few weeks ago in this Zoom platform. So now I'm taking what I'm hearing and I'm sharing it with my students that when you have an interview, this is what I need you to do. And I've got a list of your virtual interview tips because I'm this is what I'm hearing from judges. And I thought, oh my goodness, this is so juicy. This is so good. These are people, judges are people, business owners, executive directors of foundations, yeah. of nonprofits, but everyday people. There's some things that, you know, young folks can do, young adults can do to really stand out and impress that judge beyond just a great, well-written package. It's some of those extra things that I'm listening to others really talk about, like, to the point where one scholarship I'm a part of, they actually talked about now having tiers of money. And I thought, whoa, this is different. You know, not awarding everyone because some students have gone above and beyond. And I thought my students are going to hear about this. So <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, such a different world for most of us. And I feel like much when uh, I took the ACT and the SAT, for the ACT, I took a class and I scored very high. For the SAT, I didn't take a class. I didn't score nearly as high. And I realized that there is an ecosystem you just need to understand. It wasn't yeah. just after I took the ACT, I thought, well, I don't really need that class. So I'm not going to save some money in the SAT. I won't do it. I ended up for every school only turning in my ACT grade or my ACT scores because my SAT score was miserable comparatively. So learning the system of how something works also, I think, gives you a nice, um, comfortable feeling when you're in some of these pressure scholarship situations. Uh, the link, we'll give people the link. It is stackybenjamins.com forward slash scholarships to learn more. You learn everything about how the program works. There also is a video there so that uh, we've, we've now talked about this for a half an hour. Uh, and this segment's usually 10 minutes long. So we, we could go into even more about how it works, but we will on a video that Pam and I have on the next page. If you just go to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash scholarships, but Pam, uh, this is going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait to start talking about some of the success stories that uh, we have working together. This will be a lot of fun. I, I'm so excited. And, and I thank you for this and for you to be so caring enough to share it with your community says a lot because it's a really good feeling when a young person does not have to start their young life off with massive amounts of student loan debt. So this is really good. Well, it's mostly mom who said that we had to, but yeah. thank you anyway. <laughs> Thanks mom. <laughs> Hey, Icy Cold Trivia fans, it's your hot and heavy host, Joe's Mom's Neighbor Doug. And if you didn't know, we're here in Globe AZ. Yeah, that's right, Arizona. I didn't know it was a real place either. We're celebrating Heat Awareness Day, or as Joe's mom reminds us, heck, we're celebrating this every single day. Maybe this should be Heat Awareness Month or Heat Awareness Eternity. I didn't know my armpits could create so much sweat. It's like a river, people, a river. Well, I figure out a new deodorant to 
handle this situation, you should think over today's trivia. And the question is, what is the hottest temperature ever recorded in the U.S.? Can't even speak right, so damn hot. You can even treat yourself to some ice water if you can name where it was recorded. And I'll be back with the answer faster than you can say, ice, ice, baby. All right, we have this trivia competition going on that happens all year if you're new here. And our three regular panelists... OG, Paula, and Len all have a score. And today, Doc, you're playing on behalf of Len, and I've got some good news and some bad news for you. Which one do you want first? Oh, go for the bad. The bad news is there's going to be a little pressure because the good news is you're in first place. Len has <laughs> <laughs> Len has eight points. So where we usually, you know, tell you there's no pressure because it's just Len somehow. Len figured it out, and uh, he's got eight. But even more pressure is that OG has seven. He is right behind. And uh, Paula, I don't know if this is good news or bad news, but you are still awaiting your comeback with four. I'm going to interpret that as good news because it means that I get to choose first. You do. And on that note, would you like to go first in the middle or last? I'd like to go last, please. Ah, Who knew? And then, uh, OG, you want to go in the middle or first? Uh, I'll go number two. Uh, well, do you want to go? <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll go second. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, nothing like potty humor on the Stacky Benjamin show. Poop and, jokes. We and, all love them. And then, OG. Uh, oh, my God. I said OG. Three, two, too many Gs. Doc G, that means you are not only the guest of honor, you also get the place of honor. You get to swing first. What's the hottest temperature recorded in the U.S. of A? Well, first of all, I want to say that I now picture myself as Len's handicap. So he was in first <laughs> place. So speaking of swinging, I, I see myself as Len's handicap. You know, I know, right, the temperatures get up to like 120 in the Middle East, but I don't think we get that high. I'm going to say... See, I can never remember it being too much over 100, but I'm going to say 115. 115. And by the way, you know, Doug asked also, where do you think it occurred? This is not part of the overall question, but I'm wondering, where do you think in the U.S. that happened? I don't know, Arizona, Texas, something like that. All right. I'm in Chicago. We don't get that one. <laughs> like... I, I, if, I'm, if I'm below 80 degrees in the house, I'm happy. <laughs> You're talking to a guy from the Windy City. Not the heat city. Yeah. OG? I believe the answer is 123 degrees, Death Valley. 123 in Death Valley. So, Paula, not a lot of uh, not a lot of distance between those two numbers. Oh, oh, I know exactly where I'm going with this. So, first of all, definitely Death Valley. Like, the minute that, that I heard that question, that was the first thing that popped into my mind. Otherwise, they would have called it a live valley. I mean, exactly. come on. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. And I have been to Death Valley for the Super Bloom at like what was quote unquote a cool time of year. Oh man, it's it's rough. So definitely Death Valley and the number, and, and I'm not even trying to gamify this. I mean I am, but but the number that popped into my head initially was 125. So of course I'm gonna choose 124. Yes, to just lay some Chelsea Brennan on this. Exactly. All right. Well, you guys know the game. I'd love to tell you which one of you is right, but we're going to make you wait for it. We'll be right back. 
We hear a lot in the news about Greece being in debt. But actually, when you think about it, we're all in eternal debt to Greece for inventing Greek yogurt. When you try an Aristophanes yogurt, just like the Acropolis, you'll lose your marbles over that smooth Greek taste every time. Aristophanes yogurts. Keep it Greek. Doc, based on OG's answer and Paula's answer, Paula lives in a desert. The guy from the Windy City might be a little light. Yeah, I was figuring so. But again, I, if I can get Len back at all during the other times he's beat me, I feel good about this whole thing. So I'm, I'm giving one up for the team here. <laughs> That's what's always great coming in as a guest, right? You're playing for different people. So it just, yeah, yeah. Screw Len. Uh, OG, now that means you've got halfway between 115 and 123. There's a shot. Yeah, I have uh, some pretty high confidence that it was a sequence of numbers. I recall this uh, from somewhere, so I think it was like <laughs> one, two, three. So that's that's what I'm going with. Yes. Well, knowing that you're all about number two, and now you got number one and number two and three, whatever that might be. Uh, Paula, you've got them all. Like if it's 180, you've got it. Yeah, I feel great. I feel absolutely great about my choice. Good well, life choice. Well, I wouldn't feel too great because you've only got four so far. However, <laughs> <laughs> you might win this one. Doug, what's our answer? Hey, trivia fans. I'm your heat stroke stricken trivia guide, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. I'm dying over here. Just remember this about Arizona people. They say it's a dry heat, Doug. It's really not that bad, Doug. It's a, it's a dry heat. Yeah, let me fill you in on what it's really like here. Uh, just picture this. You're baking cookies, you know, in like one of those smelt blast furnaces, and you open it up, and all your face hair gets singed off. It's just like that, only without the cookies. But let me just get you back to your trivia answer before I keel over. The question was, what is the hottest temperature ever recorded in the U.S.? Well, back on July 10th, 1913 in Death Valley, if there were $100 in your pocket, you would have been cooking your Benjamins to the tune of 134 degrees Fahrenheit. What I wonder is, how did the person who took the reading make it out alive? Now it's time to figure out how I'm going to survive this stint we got here in the AZ. See ya! Wow. Wow. I knew it was a sequence of numbers. Son of a biscuit. Wow. <laughs> Horse patootie. Paul is coming so, back. I was supremely yes. confident on that, too. I wasn't even trying to make it a game. I was trying to peg the number on the dot two weeks in a row. Dang. Good job, Paula. Well, thank you. Thank you. And hey, good job to you for knowing Death Valley also. We both got the where. Yeah, with the name like that, I mean, who knew? <laughs> so check this out as a uh, complete aside. I pulled up on my handy dandy flight planner. Um, if we wanted to fly to Death Valley, we could land at the airport called Furnace Creek. <laughs> <laughs> Alternatively, you know, if we did, if we didn't want to land there, we could land at Stovepipe Wells. Those course. would be the two the two nearest airports in Death Valley. Joe, my birthday is July 10th. Do I get anything for that? Do well, I get like a half a point or something? How about that? It occurred on your birthday, maybe a, a few years before you were born. I, I forgot what, what year was it again? July 10th, uh, 1913. So, so oh, yeah, slightly. Yeah. That was just, just a few years. Slightly before that. Paula? The great stock market crash of 1987 happened on my birthday. And, and Not the year, but the date. 
October 19. And you still deny all culpability there, by the way. I do. I deny culpability, but I suppose every year I celebrate the anniversary of the market crash. <laughs> That's great. Remember when everybody's crying I was blowing out candles? <laughs> yeah, exactly. AKA, remember when we used to spit on cake and people would eat it? <laughs> right. Yeah. Now, now how are you going to blow through a mask? It's a whole different, whole challenge. Hey, let's take out the magnifying glass, guys, and help somebody do better with their money. Today's hotline call comes to you courtesy of magnifymoney.com. Hey, Doc G, when you head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash magnify money, you know what happens then? I have no idea. You'll find that those financial products you use every day at your brick and mortar bank, they ain't nowhere near best in class. Over 92%. Of the products available online, they're all ranked at Magnify Money. Head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Magnify Money for more. By the way, whether it's savings accounts, I always check what savings account rates have been all over the place lately. Savings account rates, checking accounts with no fees, whether it is uh, debt consolidation plans, student loans, better credit cards, whatever it is, it's all at Magnify Money. Stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Magnify Money. You know, what I like doing, on, uh, especially lately on Fridays, is going to some questions that I ask on Twitter. And I always get some great answers on Twitter, but I thought that this was so fun there, it would be fun to ask you guys, which is, what has been your best investment so far during the quarantine? And just curious, I think, uh, Doc, how about you first? What's your best investment been while you're at home? So I've been investing in my own mental health by slowing down. I am a serial rusher. I'm always rushing to do things, rushing here, rushing there, running out the door. So while I am stuck at home, I am making concerted effort to just slow down. But how do you do that? Do you just keep reminding yourself or is there a system? Is there some uh, app on your phone? You know, like as an example, I used to get really involved when I was at American Express. Sometimes, a couple times a year, I get really involved in the crap that everybody's talking about in the office, right? And I realized that that would never help my clients. It would never help me. It wouldn't help anybody getting involved in stupid office politics. So my screensaver on my computer in big letters just said, focus out. And I would sit down because focus out meant that focusing on this office problem wasn't going to help anybody. I need to focus on the people out there that really needed my help. You've any system for doing that? So there are a few things I've done. One is I set my alarm later in the morning. So I get up later, which believe it or not, is just something I would never do in the past, right? I would never relax that much. My body would just automatically wake up. So one thing is just Easing on the time limits, because now that I don't have appointments, everything is much more fluid. And I also talk about meetings and Zoom meetings. I try to show up a little bit late to everything because I'm so used to showing up 10 minutes early. So I try to make it a habit of actually showing up on time or late if I can. Everybody loves that, by the way. <laughs> What's that? Showing up late or showing up on time? Yeah. Yeah, I tried to be late today and I could tell everybody was really excited that I was 10 minutes tardy. <laughs> We were, we just, because then we got to play the horns when you showed up, the ba ba da ba that was good. Uh, Paula, how about you? So when you say best investment, does it have to be an investment that I made after the pandemic began that I was not previously making? Uh, I don't know. Tell me why you're thinking that. Well, so my mind immediately went to literal investments and I do not advocate buying individual stocks. But you or... bought Zoom. <laughs> that, that would have been great. But there are a few individual stocks that I can tell some stories about. Well, bring it. Let's do okay. it. Okay. 
Um, well, in terms of investments that I made prior to the pandemic that I well, I'll tell you about one. An investment I made prior to the pandemic that I sold post-pandemic was, do you remember at the end of last year when Peloton Bicycles ran that ad that became really controversial and their stock dropped like 7% in a day? Yes. The woman at home mm-hmm. and she exactly. was, uh, I don't remember what she was doing that they thought it was tone deaf. People thought it was tone deaf. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so there was a backlash about that ad. Their stock dropped and on a lark, and I do not ever recommend that anybody do this ever, but on a lark, I just picked up a handful of shares of Peloton, proceeded to not think about it for the next several months. And then when the pandemic started, people started buying exercise at home equipment and their stock shot up. So I was able to hold this thing for not long and sell it for a decent profit. That's, that's funny because everybody went, it was funny. We were talking to our friend, uh, Angelo Poli from MetPro. And he said that, you know, when the whole thing started, the whole coronavirus started, you couldn't get dumbbells. Like everybody was investing in a home gym, Paula. Yeah. I mean, which makes sense. I've definitely lost muscle throughout this pandemic because right now most of my exercise is I'm not a runner so it's walking or it's riding one of the public city bicycles after like rigorously wiping it down. So I love how you owned uh you own Peloton stock but you really didn't get into the product itself. It's a $2000 bike. Who's going to buy that? Oh, guess who'll buy that? Oh gee, how do you like your $2000 bike? It's the single greatest thing I've ever spent money on in my entire life. <laughs> and I'm glad you brought up the stock, Paula, because I hadn't looked at it. This is a, a different story than yours, but similar in that um, I would also don't buy individual stocks. But when they IPO'd last year, I was like, this is going to go through the roof. This is the greatest thing that anyone's ever created in the history of mankind. So we bought it. And like you, around Christmas time, I was like, well, there goes that, you know. And I hadn't looked at it until you started talking about it. I pulled up on my phone. I'm like, 45 a share? What's up? I'm like a stock, I'm like a hedge fund manager. Like, I wish I would have bought all of those stocks. But uh, Paula, don't knock until you try. Go get yourself a Peloton. I tell everybody this. If you buy a Peloton and you do it and you don't like it, I'll buy it back from you. So I got to tell you. you like but, 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 I, I, also, I also live in a small condo. I don't really have space for that kind of stuff. False. There's always room for a Peloton bike. (laughs) But it is interesting, Paula. I don't know, you know, OG constantly is glowing about his Peloton. But do you know anybody who doesn't glow that owns one? I don't know anybody who owns one. Oh, you don't know? Uh, Doc, how about you? I honestly don't know anyone who owns one either. Well, there you go. It's just OG. Everybody I know that owns one just raves about it. And uh, yeah. I have noticed that OG has been glowing lately, though. I am jacked and tan, dude. I'm telling you. That's what Peloton will do. Uh, Your greatest investment, OG, besides maybe uh, Woodford. I guess I'm a little bit of a cynic with all of this stuff. Um, Surprise, surprise. We haven't done anything differently. I guess the, the thing that I'm happiest that we spent money on in terms of, like, investing, it's not really an investment, is that I got to support my local steakhouse when they offered all their wines for 50% off. And so we cleared them out of a lot of inventory. So I felt pretty good about that. I'm kidding. It's not really an investment. You guys should laugh or chuckle or something just to 
Ha ha ha! some sort of. <laughs> it certainly explains the glow now. Yeah. Yeah, but um, uh, hair clippers, maybe I'm not sure. We uh, we got those. Those that was a good choice. I'm glad I got that right away. But you know, I've just spent so much time with people. That was that was the biggest thing that we did from our team standpoint. You know, both for stacking Benjamins, Joe, you and I have, and uh, Paula and Doc, you too, we've spent a lot of time with our people, right? I mean, we have said, how do we help our community? And that was our investment. And we did that with our uh, planning business. And and how do we spend a, as much time as we can with our group, with our tribe? So, so other than those changes, we really didn't do a lot of changes per se, and certainly not any investment. And I'm using air quote changes, unless you count uh, like a 2016 cab from well, copious amounts of 2016 cabs from Napa Valley as an investment, which I do. <laughs> we did get some answers like that from uh, from Twitter. Uh, Michael was having some fun. He's at Luna's Daddy and said bourbon, scotch, and beer. That was a good one. But I like some of the some of the more serious answers. Uh, going through a few of these, I like. Ian says we adopted another dog. He's had a huge impact on the mental health of my children. During this time, I think that's a pretty cool one. Amy Dunn writes a satellite router for my Wi-Fi that allows me to work on the back patio. Sunshine and fresh air makes such a big difference in the day to day. Man, I found that when I get out of the basement and I actually now that it's getting nice, just work from outside. I I gotta think OG and Paula, like you guys must you, you must do that. Do you do you write from outside, Paula? I do not write from outside. I, I can't get comfortable there, but sometimes I'll go outside to to read or to send emails or to update social media, things that don't require deep focus. And OG, uh, you do f- some phone calls, I know, from outside, right? I do lots of stuff outside. Yeah, it depends yeah. on the wind. You know, it can get kind of breezy in North Texas. So depending on which way it's facing, we have got a little bit of a covered porch in the front that we have a couple of chairs outside. And then, and then if the wind's blowing the other way, I can sit in the back, but especially for stuff that doesn't require a ton of, uh, like Paula said, you know, a ton of like super concentration team meetings, you know, where we're just kind of all together and, and, you know, I can sit out there with a laptop and a cup of coffee or something while it's still nice. And before it gets hotter than the hinge, well, before it gets too far into the summertime, you know, and it gets super hot out, you know, try to spend some time outside. Uh, the blogger at uh, Fiscally Sound, our friend uh, Anthony Curlew, wrote that uh, he said, here's these are hard to get now. I'm glad I got mine early. And it's this whole hair clipper system. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, I just, yep, yeah, that's what I said. It took us probably six weeks to get a, a set. That is his best investment. I need it right now. Uh, Scott Humphreys, who's at Scott Humphrey 1-2, said running longer distances. He said, I did 15 miles in one run over the weekend doing 30-ish a week. This week, probably more than 40. I'm down 10 pounds during quarantine. I'd be down more if my daughter didn't bake sweets all the time, although I can't blame her other than doing doing it well. I know, I know, Doc G, that's you, right? You're you're running nonstop during this. We do run and we do a lot of walking. Certainly not 15 miles, though. That's long. I thought of OG when uh, Annie wrote this when she's at Annie K21. Stupid expensive leggings. Not even upset about it. They're so much more comfortable. And are now my new daily work clothes. That's you out on the porch, right, OG? Well, yeah, but then I, I cut them off to just, you know, probably about four inches above the knee. So they're more like real tight shorts. Right, exactly. 
Uh, our friend uh, Jason Vitug at Frugal. Uh, Jason uh, has the Blinkist app. The Blinkist app, Paula, when I think about the Blinkist app, that sounds like something you'd have. Uh, I do have it, and they are a sponsor of my show. So oh, I walked Blinkist. right into that crap. Blinkist.com slash Paula if you want a discount. <laughs> I, did not, I did not mean that. That, 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 that was not, <laughs> Blinkist, if you want to sponsor our show too, because I did that. Because I'm amazing. Joe at stackingbenjamins.com. Also, the Calm app. Anybody use Calm? I see that all the time. Yep, sure do. Yeah, you like it? I do. I didn't like when they changed, like a couple years ago, they changed people in the recording. And it's like, you get used to the same, you're like, that's my person. And then they change, you're like, what happened? I don't want to listen to this one. Like, give me the other person back. But eventually you get used to it. Yeah, that seems like, uh, Doc, that would be a good app for you, speaking of, you know, not rushing around so much, the Calm app. Yeah, I'm a big fan of, of meditation in general. So I I definitely feel like when I have time, which I've had more lately, to even do a five or ten minute meditation session is a nice calming thing to do. Slows me down a little bit. That's great. Michael McLean will do one more. Michael, uh, he's at Michael underscore McLean said, wife and I bought a Peloton bike. Now you guys know two people. <laughs> What's he say about the Peloton bike? Best he, thing, right? He said a big investment in our health exclamation point, but you can, okay. you can feel, you can feel the love there. Oh, gee. Prove me wrong. Good the stuff. Best thing ever. Maybe I'll use my profits from the sale of Peloton stock to buy a Peloton <laughs> bike. No kidding. <laughs> How would that, that wouldn't, that would fits the narrative perfectly. There it is. <laughs> and you know, because we're talking about it on the podcast, Paula, it's a write-off too, right? Ooh, there we go. Just, just buy it as an experiment. Talk about it all the time on the podcast and you're good to go. And think of how low my bills will be once I'm in the federal penitentiary. <laughs> It'd be fantastic. <laughs> yes. And think about how low your utility bills will be when you hook up your electricity to the output of your Peloton. That's what OG does. He's got a big family. Kidding? He's on the Peloton all the time, making sure the lights stay on. Right, dude? No, the kids. The kids are on the Peloton all the time. Kids are on that. (laughs) Great. Yeah. You want 10 more minutes of Xbox time? That's two hours on the Peloton. Hey, uh, thanks everybody for playing that game with us. You can um, follow me at Average Joe Money. We also tweeted about that over at S Benjamin's Cast, and of course OG plays along all the time at Not the Fake OG because you're the real OG, right? Uh, that's going to do it for today, guys. OG, why don't you do the honors? What do you got going on this weekend, man? I've got a little after-school activity, and everybody thinks it's flying. It's not flying. Uh, something else. But um, uh, supposed to be a big trip this weekend for that. However, it got canceled. So now we've got this kind of two-day virtual thing that's happening uh, a little bit later today and and most of the day tomorrow. So I have to sit in front of a computer for two days. It'll be fun. It it sounds like every other day. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I know. Precisely. Paula, what's going on at the amazing You Can Afford Anything, just not everything podcast. Thank you for asking, Joe. On the amazing Afford Anything podcast, last week we had Dan Ariely on the show. Actually, that was two weeks ago. We had Dan Ariely. He's one of the leading behavioral economists in the world. Uh, Super smart guy. Talks about how we all screw ourselves up and what we can do about it. And next week, we have Michael Hyatt on the show. He is an acclaimed business leader and thinker who talks about the importance of having a vision that can help you be a leader, regardless of whether it's at your W-2 job, be a leader within your team or department or on a project that you're working on, or whether it's for a business that you yourself run. 
both of those interviews, plus this guy named Joe Saul Cihai, all at the Afford Anything podcast. You know, uh, Dan Ariely and Michael Hyatt, when are you going to start having some thinkers on? I know, seriously. Right? Somebody with something to say, Paula. Yeah, when will I get guests of substance? I know, right? Wow, that is an action-packed lineup. If it weren't for that third guy, you'd be great. <laughs> be awesome. Uh, and that's at the Afford Anything podcast, where finer podcasts are distributed. Doc, great talking to you again, my friend. You and I have such fun conversations, but there's another place I heard where you have even better conversations called the Earn and Invest podcast. Well, you know, I knew that we had such good conversations on that podcast. I had to invite you on a few months ago. So <laughs> Joe had his own episode so that we could have our great, great conversation. I had, on an, air. Ep I had an episode, by the way, and then I went on the show. But I'm uh, Anyway, <laughs> sorry. So yesterday's episode was with Mr. and Mrs. Physician on Fire. We were talking huh? about what it feels like to be retired. So he is part of the Financial Independence Retire Early Movement. He's an anesthesiologist. He left work over six months ago, and his wife and him had been traveling until Corona took over. And we talk a little bit about what it's like to be on this side of the retire early movement, especially in these crazy times of economic recession and Corona pandemic. Talk about worrying about sequence of returns risk, right? If you're worried about this being a bad time to retire and the market falling out within your first few years after... That's happening for a lot of people. So we talk about it. We talk about finances. It's a really good conversation. Well, it is fun. And I know all your conversations are great, but I also know you always dive in so much in these conversations, Doc. I'm just guessing because of other shows of yours that I've heard that the feel when you talk about the feelings people have when they retire early might not be like just the all happy, happy, joy, joy that we, you know, if we're craving that right now that we all expect. Well, I certainly try to look for the story or the angle that approaches things a little bit from the side. So the question is, what's really happening? What's really going on? And what does it feel like? Because most things, you know, most big goals, as we were talking about earlier, a lot of big goals don't necessarily feel like we think they're going to feel. So I love to talk to people about what it really feels like when they go through these things that they were either worried about or excited about or these big goals they've set for themselves. And usually you find out that there's a lot more to it than just kind of the basic level that you thought there was. Yeah, always a surprise around every corner. And that's also Earn and Invest, where finer podcasts are distributed. That's going to do it for today, guys. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. We're going to leave it to Doug now. Doug, what should we have learned today? Well, Joe, tell you what, there are three things we should have learned today. First, take a lesson from our roundtable. As you find yourself quarantining less, think about what you did while you were at home. Are there things you should continue doing? Using this time to experiment could help you create better systems for the future. Second, take a lesson from Pam Andrews from Scholarship Shark. By thinking far enough in advance, there are some tips and tricks that high school students can implement to not only get into the school of their dreams, but get scholarships to pay for it. But the big takeaway? When Joe invites you to travel around the globe for an adventure, what he actually means is you're moving to Globe, Arizona, where he intends to bake you alive. Bait and switch, Joe. Bait and switch. Not cool, man. 
Special thanks to Doc G for hanging with us again today. You'll find Doc G's show, Earn and Invest, wherever finer podcasts are distributed. Also, a special thanks to Pam Andrews from Scholarship Shark for informing us of all the creative ways to get scholarships. Check out our new partnership with Pam at stackingbenjamins.com forward slash scholarships. Paula Pint appears courtesy of affordanything.com and Afford Anything podcast. All the Afford Anythings. This show is created by Joe Saul Cihai, produced by Karen Rapine, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and there's a 73% chance that I played Chuck on Happy Days. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. There's no way you take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. And before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor. Oh, and Doug, you forgot you forgot one credit. Big thanks to comedian Benjamin Partridge and the Beef and Dairy Network for letting us use their comedy commercial today for Aristophanes Yogurt. Check out the Beef and Dairy Network podcast for our type of humor. Welcome to the after show. This is the part of the show that doesn't exist. You know, we talked earlier about investments, but one thing I was like talking about is uh, what tech you do for fun during coronavirus time. And I'm asking this almost specifically, Paula, of you, because I think well, I've been watching a lot of shows on TV and, uh, and I know Paula, <laughs> Paula might not be binging on the same TV shows I'm binging on because she won't know any of those references. There's no sports on. And I know, Paula, what a big sports fan you are. <laughs> if if right. you're somebody that doesn't do all the cultural stuff, what the hell do you do with yourself when you're stuck at home? So my television intake has increased for sure. If I may make a recommendation, there's a new show on Netflix. It's called Never Have I Ever. You may, by the way, make oh, a recommendation. Thank you. So I, I'm Nepalese American. I have never seen a show with a South Asian protagonist. And it's surreal. It's like, it's just absolutely surreal to watch a television show where the main character and the main family are Indian American. And all of a sudden, like the way that they behave at home, the tension between like her having to balance like doing Ganesh Puja with her family, and then like going to high school and trying to be like a normal kid. It just, it, mirrors my life and I've never seen it before. I got to tell you, Paula, cause, cause we're going to get into this. Uh, doc, did you see this show? I've heard of it. I haven't seen it yet. Oh, gee, have you watched this show yet? 
Negative. Let's listen to a trailer. This is this is actually a show written by Mindy Kaling, mm-hmm. and it's hot on Netflix, and it's called, as Paula said, Never Have I Ever. What? Mom, I'm fast asleep. You don't look like you're asleep. What are you doing here? I'm doing exactly what I said I'd do. I'm here to have sex with you. gonna be our year you can feel it but we're not cool wait a not cool person wear one dangly earring which brings me to my plan we're rebranding i have chosen attainable get status enhancing people for each of us today hey jonah you smell great today it's forever by mariah carey oh this is why you don't mess with me see i'm technically best there ever be yes i'm blessed indeed so don't test me please i am hercules i unleash the beast you look like an indian kardashian Talk about a major event that could happen. Popping my cherry, dog. Oh, Lord. We are smart, and idiots are banging all the time. We can learn how to do it, too. Word of advice, just give up. Oh, yeah? I won't be able to walk again tomorrow because I'm about to go get railed. Peace out, virgin. You just seem lost. Ah! And I'm not lost. High school's like, are we allowed to say no? I just want to be a normal teenager. Whoa, what are you doing? Don't worry, he won't hurt me. Normal teenagers end up in prison. Or worse, working in Jersey Mike's. You're a weird girl. Yes, yes I am. Buckle up for some steamy teen romance. Oh, sh. So. It's so interesting. It was interesting to me following the life, as you heard in the trailer, of this average, uh, this average teenage girl who has all these feelings, not feeling like she's accepted. And at first, I'm like, "Oh, this seems like teenage girl drama to me." And then Paula, mm-hmm. and I'm going to give away this surprise. Within five minutes, like John McEnroe is talking in her head. And and that's that's what hooked me. I'm like John McEnroe is in is in this Indian girl's head, and it was so. I'm with you. This was this was one of the best shows that I've seen anytime mm-hmm. lately. There are things that she says that like just nailed my childhood experience or my teenage years experience to a T. Like there's this one point where she's really mad at her mom and they're Hindu. So they're from a a religion where uh, you don't eat beef. Cows are sacred. As am I. I was raised Hindu. My parents are are very devout Hindus. And so there's this one scene where she's mad at her mom. And, And for further context, like also many South Asian parents, mine included, disapprove of dating because they want their kids to have an arranged marriage. All right. So that's a context that you need to understand this line. So she's mad at her mom. She's like just trying to say something that'll really get under her mom's skin. And she's like, one day I'm going to eat cheeseburgers with my white boyfriend. (laughs) (laughs) And I have literally said that before. I have have said that so many times. I thought it was pretty cool. You were talking about the holiday and I obviously don't know the holidays, but, but she goes to this holiday festival that's at the school and uh, she has this older friend there who's in college mm-hmm. and she keeps putting the holiday down. And she, I love the fact that she realizes partway through that whatever your background is like kind of 
leaning into it and 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 realizing that's a big part of who you are and how cool it is is I don't know I thought that episode was really fun. Yeah, that was that was a good episode. So they were doing the Ganesh Puja festivities at her high school. So it was kind of this like, you know, she's normally there in jeans and a t-shirt and that day she's there in a sari. That conversation was interesting because she was like, this thing is lame because I'm forced to be here because my parents are forcing me to come. And he was like, I kind of I'm in college now and nobody's making me come, but I kind of miss it. So, you know, I want to come back so that I can take part in the tradition. But what's cool to me about their conversation is that it's not some feel good like follow your heritage type of like, you know, they're not trying to shove anybody into a anthropological museum, as I've as I've called it before. If abiding by your uh, the the social norms of your ancestry comes at the expense of you being able to be your authentic self, then screw like the social norms. You got to be yourself. You got to you got to eat cheeseburgers with your white boyfriend if that's what you want to do. Yeah. So the, the defi- show really captures that. Her definition of what's cool changes from the beginning of the show to the end. It really, mm-hmm. she's such a character who changes so much. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and by the way, Paula, while you and I and listeners might be geeking out about this, OG and Doc are like, this is exciting <laughs> conversation. <laughs> we got four of us in here and two of you are. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and actually, OG, I'll tell you this. I think you will like it a little bit. I know Mrs. OG very much. I think I think Mrs. OG would love the show. Love it. Uh, she might be watching it. What's it called? It's it's uh, Never Have I Ever. I've heard it's really good. I mean, I've heard multiple people say it's worth watching. Well, well and Doc, you and I talk, uh, have creative discussions, frankly, more than I have creative discussions with anybody. And uh, the creativity in this show that Mindy Kaling brings to it between John McEnroe being in, the, being in this, this teenage girl's head and just jokes that come out of the blue. I mean, it just, it's rapid fire stuff. I think you'll appreciate the way that it's constructed. Yeah, I would be watching something like that, but my daughter has decided that we're going to watch Anne of Green Gables. Oh. And we have we have like the box set, which is, it just keeps on going with her life for like decades and decades. So, you know, it's one of those, we have the discs, right? And you turn the disc over. We still have a, a, a disc player, right? And so you have to turn the disc over and there's like four or five of them. And I'm trying my best to ignore it and like, you know, work on the podcast, do other stuff. And I will tell you, though, it has sucked me in because the character, Anne, is like everything I want my daughter to be. She's like really intellectual and verbose, a little bit overly emotional, but she has both a soft heart, but then sticks up for herself relentlessly. And so I'm looking at my 12-year-old daughter thinking, yeah, maybe this is not my first choice of things to be watching, but if my daughter turned out like that, it would be okay. So you're talking about the original Anna Green Gables. Yes. I'm not even going to ask OG if he watched that before or after Rambo. So I'm not even going <laughs> to ask that. But Paula, did you watch Anna Green Gables? No, I haven't. See, that's one I thought you would have seen too. It sounds like the type of thing I would have seen. Yeah. the uh, but, but I've heard, Doc, that the new one, the Anne with an E, they call it. Yeah, I haven't seen that one. Universally, what, I, what I'm hearing from people, and I haven't seen any of them, is that it's not great. Yeah. The, the, the original one is pretty darn good. That doesn't necessarily explain why we own the box set, but uh, yeah, it's worth watching. OG, ask your question that you always ask me about Anna Green Gables. 
not not what you asked me about Anna Green Gables, but whenever I recommend something, ask Doc the question. How many explosions are there in it? <laughs> I'm trying to think. I don't think there's a single one. There might be some house fires. There is some war scenes. Is there house get fire? Into the later is, ones. is the house fires because of machine gun fire? No, no. Rocket launchers? No, there is some, you know, old day surgery, right? One of the main characters becomes a surgeon. So there's some like early 1900s operating scenes, that kind of stuff. Blood a little bit of blood and gore. Yeah. Uh, but no bombs or rocket no, launchers. No, like I said, some, I think there's some Missiles. World War One scenes, but they're they're not. They're more on the side. It's not a major part of the show. And he's gone. Cool. <laughs> Let me write it down here on my list of stuff to do. <laughs> Well, Stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans. And all branches of the military, veterans, DOD, employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. <laughs> 